and welcome to Science and Sage, a podcast where I, Hannah, focus on creating and claiming space for Indigenous voices in medicine. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Michael Dumont, a family physician who works out of Luma Medical Clinic, an Indigenous primary care clinic in Vancouver. Dr. Dumont, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Hannah, for having me here. Uh, I'm just going to introduce myself uh, in my language here first, if that's okay. Um, Michael Dumont, an Indigenous Indigenous uh, so what I said there in Anishinaabemowin is, um, hello, my name is Michael Dumont. I am uh, Anishinaabe Martin clan from the Shawnega First Nation, uh, which is in, uh, in central Ontario. Uh, and uh, I also have mixed European ancestry, uh, French, Scottish, Irish, English, Spanish, and Dutch uh, that I know about. Um, and I'm uh, honored to make my home here on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. Um, I'm a father of one, a, uh, a brother and a son. Um, and uh, in my professional role, I'm a, I'm a family doctor by trade. Uh, and I wear a few hats in that regard. Uh, thanks for mentioning Luma. I'm a, I'm a family doctor there, uh, as well as a medical director and one of the, the, the founders who started that project uh, in 2016. And uh, I'm also a, a clinical preceptor in the UBC Indigenous uh, Family Medicine Residency Program, which uh, Luma is one of the, the host sites for. Um, and then I'm a family doctor at uh, Musqueam Primary Care Clinic um, and a spokesperson for the First Nations and Aboriginal Primary Care Network, which is a, a group of um, eight, now nine clinics um, uh, in, the, in the lower mainland and on the Sunshine Coast that are Indigenous owned and operated and, and providing primary care. Fantastic. Thank you so much for that introduction. Um, it was lovely to hear you do that in our traditional way and in your language. So um, yeah, thank you for that. Would you like to talk a little bit about your pathway to medicine and kind of what got you to all of these wonderful roles that you hold now? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'll, I'll start quite early. Um, I uh, I think there were there were a few a few things that happened in my early life that sort of pushed me into a career in medicine. Um, the first was uh, actually my brother and his birth. So my brother's four years younger than me. Um, he had some some complications uh, around around his birth. Um, there were some uh, some issues in terms of some blood factor incompatibility with with my mom, um, and uh, they ended up needed needing to go in quite frequently for. Uh, um, in utero blood transfusion. So quite, quite advanced maternal fetal medicine type care. Um, and that was when we were living in Winnipeg at the time. Um, and so I was three going on four, you know, a very, I guess, curious, probably quite annoying little three year old <laughs> to be carting around to these appointments. But, um, my mom was, was having to take me with her. And, uh, I, I just fell in love with, the whole medical system and environment when I was, when I was a little kid there, I was just, just fascinated by everything. Um, so I got to be in the room when, you know, she had her ultrasound appointments and, and even during, um, one of the, uh, the amniocentesis, I'm not really sure how I was able to be in the room there, but I, I, I remember it vividly. Um, and, uh, at one point we were doing an ultrasound and the obstetrician actually let me, you know, hold the little ultrasound wand on my mom's, uh, abdomen and, I could see my brother up on the monitor and it was just, it was, I'm not sure how much of it I was aware of, but it was just like, okay, yeah, this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, and so that always stuck with me. Um, it was always in the back of my mind. Um, 
and then and then later on um you know i was in in high school and uh i uh, had the opportunity i grew up in in southern ontario and i had the opportunity to come out to to bc um and saw ubc campus and and uh you know we were just doing a, a family trip at that point and just instantly fell in love with the space and and uh you know coming from coming from back east you know the mountains the water the ocean the rainforest you know um it was it was uh yeah I, I, just a dreamland i had to i had to try and make make my way out west so um i i sort of set that goal for myself and put that put that in my in my future and, and really didn't consider anything else as far as as what i would do um and I hadn't really, I think, properly in my mind at that point known what what medicine would be like in terms of the actual work and and what that would uh, what my career would look like or anything like that. Um, but I knew that that um, I, I, I really wanted to be a doctor, and it wasn't really until I actually got into I, I did um, a kinesiology undergrad, a bachelor of human kinetics at UBC. Um, but it was partway through my undergrad that I. Um, learned a little bit more about my grandmother's story and, and that really brought me, um, a sense of focus and, and reinvigorated my, um, my motivation to, to pursue a career in medicine and, and, and really focus in on, on Indigenous health specifically. Um, so my, my grandmother, she, uh, she, uh, is a survivor of tuberculosis. She, um, ended up contracting TB when she was quite young. And, um, around the time of my, uh, she actually, around the time of my, my dad's birth, she, she got quite sick. Um, so my, my dad actually didn't, didn't really get to, to, to be with her uh, after he was born. He was, he was in the hospital for, um, a few months afterwards being looked after while she was, uh, at a TB hospital. Um, and fast forward a, a couple of years from that, my, uh, um, my grandmother was in a position where uh, the TB had spread to her kidneys and she was um, uh, brought down to a hospital in Toronto for some specialty care there. Um, and being a, you know, a, a visibly indigenous woman, um, she was, uh, was being cared for in that center. And the, uh, the surgeons had said, well, we need to, we need to do a, uh, a nephrectomy. We need to, to, to operate and take out your kidney in order to, um, you know, to, to, to save you here. Um, and so she consented to that, uh, that part of the procedure and, um, and they, they brought her in and, and, and put her under, um, and completed the nephrectomy. Um, but also without her consent and without, to my knowledge, any indication for this, um, you know, from, from a TV perspective, they also completed a hysterectomy, um, and, uh, took out her, her uterus and, so, um, and, and I, I never, I never really, I think, properly understood what that meant, um, you know, until really probably until this, this part of my career, you know, a little bit, a little bit later, but, but what I knew at that point when I, when I really first heard that story, um, you know, preparing for, for my med school interviews and everything is it just, it just it just hit home you know all of these things we hear about all of the statistics all of the um the inequities between indigenous and non-indigenous people in this country the health disparities you know it was all of a sudden like oh wow okay that's 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 me like that's in my family that's i don't you know i don't know how many you know aunts and uncles and um 
you know, cousins I, I didn't get to meet because of that decision. I don't know if my, if my grandmother would have had more kids after that. Um, and, and that doctor made that decision, you know, I, I don't know what went into that decision, but it, it, it also, it, it's, 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 we have so much power to be as physicians, to be healers, but we have, we have such a capacity to do harm too. And, and, you know, what those, what those very, uh, sort of quick decisions in one life, one's life can mean for generations past that, right? It was just a very powerful, a powerful thing to feel. And, and, um, so while I was going through, you know, my writing my med school essay and my, my grandmother was just right there. And, and, um, and that helped, helped focus what I wanted to do. And I knew that I, I, I really had to, um, I had to do right by her experience. And I, I feel that responsibility even now, you know, that's, that's really what drives me to, to do, um, this work that I do and focus, you know, really all of my, um, my primary care work, uh, working with indigenous peoples. And, uh, I, I just want to make sure that this healthcare system that has caused so much harm for, um, or to a lot of our, our, our people, to our families and our, our, and continues to cause harm, honestly, in a lot of cases. Um, I, I, I wanted to be, um, I wanted to infiltrate that system and try and change it so that it, it, it became a force for, for healing and for good. And, uh, and so, um, you know, that was my, my, my motivation again, going into medical school. And I was very fortunate to be part of the, uh, the Aboriginal admissions program, uh, through, through, uh, through UBC. Um, it's the only school I applied to probably somewhat foolishly, but it, it worked out okay in my favor. And, uh, um, I'm sure others have mentioned, um, James Andrew on, uh, on your podcast. Uh, James is, uh, you know, so much more than, than, than just a, uh, you know, uh, uh, a support person and, uh, uh, you know, and a mentor. He's, he's, he's somebody who's, who's, um, he's left such an incredible mark in, Indigenous health in this province and across this country in terms of the work that he's done, but that, that admissions program. And, and I know there's a lot of other doctors who have put, um, put a lot of work into making that a reality. Uh, that, that's part of what made my, um, my journey into this work too. So I just wanted to, to certainly honor that. Yeah. That role that, that James has played uh, for me too. Uh, yeah, and so going into into medical school, um, I had I had all of these ideas. Um, I knew that I really wanted to be trying to combine um, sort of my traditional ways of knowing how I was raised and um, right, the, the little uh, of our medicine, you know, our, our our traditional medicines that I was taught. I didn't really know that I was taught, you know. In, in many ways, it was just like, you know, uh, spent the summers in in Shanaga and I was I was in the the bush, in the forest there. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, my grandmother and my dad taught me all sorts of little things that, that I only recognize now as being part of our, our traditional knowledge. Um, but, uh, but I really wanted to be in an environment where I could combine that with Western medicine. And, uh, perhaps in my naivete at that point as a first year medical student, uh, you know, I thought that I'd be able to explore that right away and that there would be safe spaces to, um, talk about, you know, traditional medicine, alternative complementary medicine in the sort of Western medical lingo. Uh, and that was a very rude awakening. I was um, 
never really shut down directly by any sort of instructors or or my peers, but um, I, I realized that I had to be very careful about who I talked about that with, um, and sort of the uh, um, we talked a little bit about like uh, the, the sort of the hidden curriculum. Um, in, in, in medical school at that point. I, I think it's changed for the positive in many ways, but um, when I, I was part of the, uh, the class of 2012, so I was um, in the, I guess the fall of 2008, I started medical school. Um, it was it was not an environment where it was really safe to talk about that openly. And um, it was probably more my peers than the instructors, but I felt very much that I was um, odd for having any of that you know, the, the Western medicine was here was, was sort of the, the gold standard and that everything else was, was less than. Um, and, uh, and so in, in, in trying to cope with that, I, I, my, my coping mechanism at that point, um, and it's had a very harmful effect on my, my life, you know, since then, uh, was to hide that away. Um, so I, I, I sort of, um, I mean, I was very open about saying that I, you know, that I am Indigenous. I never hid that part of my identity to people, but I, I hid away that, that, that desire and that interest in, in our traditional ways of knowing again, um, especially from sort of my, um, my medical educators. Um, and, and I, I hid it away well enough that I, that I almost forgot about it myself. And I just focused on the, the Western education piece. I just focused on, you know, understanding cardiology and dermatology and psychiatry um, from from that sort of Eurocentric way of thinking. And I think that served me well in terms of learning those that system. I learned it really well. Um, but I, I think I, I hid away a, a large part of myself. And uh, um, and that was really harmful, you know, especially as we got towards quipship and, and the stresses of, of um, you know, sleep deprivation and, and long days and you know, constant cycle of exams and training and um, trying to learn everything in the hospital environment and, you know, 100-hour weeks and all that. It, it's it's a stressful time for everybody. But when you're feeling that stress, you know, I think we all look back to, like, why are we doing this in the first place and that motivation. And uh, um, it was actually at a, a retreat, um, uh, one of the, uh, the, the retreats for the Indigenous med, med students. Um, and I heard two people speak there, and it was interesting, um, maybe serendipitous that you had Dr. Danielle Bain-Smith on here um, recently. Um, but it was, uh, it, was, it was Danielle and it was Nadine Caron who came to speak at that, at that retreat. Can you imagine now, like, the, <laughs> um, these two incredible doctors coming just for maybe 12 of us uh, as, as med students at that point who, who came to that retreat in North Vancouver. Um, and just it just hit me right there you know they, they they just at a point where i was feeling really low and feeling really um you know unsure of of my direction it was it was their words um just talking about their own experiences and um and how they navigated that that our, our you know our very colonial healthcare system as indigenous physicians um and uh um and as um you know really trailblazers um, they, they just helped to, to really, um, help me to confront that imposter syndrome 
that I think we all struggle with. I know you know you had uh, spoken about that with some of your your peers in one of the earlier episodes too. But um, yeah, that, that that really helped to focus me on on what I needed to do. Um, and then after that, uh, got to got to CARMS in fourth year, and uh, uh, I ended up matching to uh, to Calgary to the family medicine program in Calgary. Um, I was uh, couples matching with my my then partner, um, and honestly, I was I was pretty happy with how it ended up. It wasn't my first choice. I was I was really gunning for the Indigenous Family Medicine uh, program, um, you know, and the UBC program, the, the St. Paul's program here in Vancouver too. Uh, so that was you know maybe somewhat of a disappointment, but I, I I took it pretty quickly as sort of like a sign, like no, maybe I need to go somewhere else to to pick up this knowledge and. You know, my, my plan was always to come back here eventually anyway. Um, so I ended up at uh, in Calgary. It was a bit of an eye-opener. Um, I think we've got challenges with racism and all the way across Turtle Island. Um, but uh, I, think, I think there's perhaps a little bit more of an overt pattern to racism against Indigenous peoples on the prairies. Um, I say that as somebody who was born in Saskatchewan, has lived in Manitoba and Alberta as well. Um, I have lots of lots of good friends there and lots of good memories from from my time there. Certainly, don't paint everybody with the same brush, but but I, I was exposed to to racism there that was really shocking and eye opening. Um, and and I think in that sense, it was actually a very important place for me to do some of my medical training to understand um, some of what our people face, especially those who. Um, you can't, you know, I, I, I carry some privilege being able to pass for white, you know, um, but for those of us who can't and, um, and face, you know, really shocking discrimination, um, walking into an emergency room or a walking clinic. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I did, um, my two years in residency training there and then, um, transitioned. I was working, um, part of my residency, uh, one of my residency rotations, I did an elective at the Siksika um, Nation, uh, Siksika Health Services, which is uh, uh, a really, you know, wonderful place, a really uh, um, sort of uh, gold standard rural primary care clinic um, serving the Siksika First Nation. And uh, I got to work there with, with a number of my um, my mentors, you know, during residency, um, and they offered me a job to, to come and work there afterwards. So I spent two years um, doing full spectrum family practice uh, and learning the ropes of being a family physician there. Um, and I really loved that experience. It was honestly a, you know, a dream job in many ways, but there was one thing that was really missing, and it was um, it was that traditional medicine component. I'd always thought about coming back home, and that was again always my goal coming back to Vancouver. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I kept getting little reminders here and there, you know, I'd, I talked to a patient and, and, and they'd mention, I know, um, a certain medicine, traditional medicine that they were using or, or a ceremony that they were preparing for. And it was just like, I got this little reminder, you know, the, the drum beats always there. And it was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta find a way to get back to this. Um, and it was very serendipitous, um, that, you know, in late 2018, early 20, sorry, uh, late 2015, early 2016, um, I was, um, just looking for, for jobs in, in Vancouver and looking, just looking at the job board, kind of not really with anything in mind in terms of a timeline, but I, uh, I came across on the First Nations Health Authority website, um, about this LUMA 
project is Luma Clinic. And Luma is a uh, um, Luma Native Housing Society is a, um, an indigenous housing provider um, sort of within Metro Vancouver and and has been for for many many years. It's been doing really amazing work on homelessness prevention and and housing. And uh, the um, leadership in the housing society was looking at to expand um, their services, their social services, and actually set up a clinic. Um, and I, you know, I just got chills when I saw this. I was like, oh wow, this is this is really something I I I, I think I could be a good partner for. Um, so again, somewhat naively, uh, only with a couple of years of, of experience as a family doctor, I, I uh, got in a plane and came to Vancouver and had a sit-down meeting over the weekend with some of the leaders at Luma. And um, it took probably 10 minutes for me to commit. I was just, yeah, I, I knew this was the right team. You know, you sometimes just get that that gut feeling. And it's like, okay, this is, this is really where I'm meant to be. Um, I say naively because I have no experience in medical leadership. I um, had no experience in terms of how to run a business. And um, we had some, some initial funding challenges. I was having to, to work as a fee-for-service doctor, um, you know, with a, with a, with a, you know, a panel of patients that, that, that just need, need more time to adequately address their care, um, more time than the fee-for-service system properly, you know, uh, uh, I suppose, uh, remunerates you for, um, so it became a real challenge to, to keep the clinic afloat, um, in the midst of, of, again, a very sort of, uh, um, difficult and, uh, uh, limited sort of budget. So, um, but we got through that initial period and, and, um, the, one of the earliest sort of things that we did was um, to try to build partnerships with um, with elders and traditional healers um, and with counselors. And so um, before it had sort of been the sort of the standard of care, you know, we talk about patient medical homes and um, primary care networks um, and, and the real sort of um, push now is for us to be working in, in primary care to be working in teams. Um, with with allied health support, we sort of already set up this this very sort of patient medical home esque model um, with uh, with elders and traditional healers working alongside counselors and social workers, uh, working alongside you know, nurses and physicians, and um, you know uh, eventually we we did um, get our our uh, establish those partnerships with with our funding. Partners and um, and, uh, and now Luma's on, on on pretty good footing with uh, I think a really innovative but but really effective um, model for care for looking after people in an urban setting um, and it's it is my dream job I'm just super super fortunate really blessed to be um, doing what I love and I, I, I work with um, you know we we call ourselves sort of the Luma family it, it really does feel more like a family relationship with with colleagues that. Uh, you know, share that same passion and that same real motivation to do do this work in a good way. Um, and uh, yeah, um, I probably expanded a little beyond my <laughs> the initial question there, but um, that's that's a, a little a little taste of sort of what got me um, to where I'm today. Thank you so much um, for going through that. I 
I just want to especially say um, Cook's Gem for sharing the extremely powerful story that you did um, at the beginning about your grandmother. I think that is so important for people to hear and kind of woven throughout your story from then to now with your work at Luma. What shouts out to me is how critical representation is and whether that was representation for you seeing the your brother on the ultrasound at the very first time and having your first contact with the medical system to the difference that it makes to our indigenous patients to see or know that there's somebody caring for them that understands i just think that is so unbelievably powerful and it's also what got me into medicine as well mm. um one of the things that you mentioned too about um placing kind of western medicine as the gold standard is also something that I have um, seen and, and struggled with throughout my medical education. And one of the ways I'm starting with my little resistance is this podcast as a as a form of scholarship in our Indigenous ways. Mm. Uh, and I'm wondering if um, you can speak a little bit to how you enact that resistance or how you integrate um your indigenous ways of knowing into your practice um kind of on a day-to-day -day basis yeah no that's a great question hannah i um you know I, I i i'm not a traditional healer i don't have those those skills or those gifts i certainly um i have some knowledge that i've inherited um and a lot that i need to learn um so really it for me it's in building those partnerships and um connecting with and and bringing bringing people into the project who who really you know want to be part of this and and and, and also share that interest in integrating you know indigenous and western medical approaches um because there's a lot of good that comes from western medicine too you know certainly um you know we uh um, we don't mean for this to be, and I, and one of the things I really want to communicate clearly is it's not an either or, you know, this is, um, our a big part of our project is, is helping to encourage people. Well, there's, there's many different ways of knowing, and we can, we can be part of the, 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 um, the bridging of these two ways. Um, and, uh, and, and most of our patients are, are really comfortable with that saying, you know, well, here's something where, you know, I'm working on my diabetes, but I really, I really want to focus on, on, on exercise and eating my traditional foods, um, as the intervention here. I really don't want to seek out a pharmaceutical medication. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, we have that ability within our sort of team to be fairly nimble and, and, you know, and for, for that patient to be able to, to direct sort of which aspects of their care they want to seek more of a traditional way and which aspects of their care they want to seek more of a, a Western medical way. Um, but yeah, partnering with, with, with elders and healers who have those gifts and have those skills and, and again, have comfort in, in, in working sort of together on this. Um, it, it's, it's a real, um, again, an honor to be in a space where, where I can sort of be that, I guess, that safe person, if that makes sense. Um, as a, as a, as a Western trained physician, my, my, my job is as a medical doctor. That's, that's what I bring to the table. Um, but I'm also someone who, who has a deep appreciation for and a belief in the power of our traditional medicines, um, whether that be prayer or ceremony or plant medicines or, um, um, you know, uh, 
goodness, there's, there's lots of different forms of medicine. Um, and, and, and again, being, being able to sort of connect people to that within a clinical setting, um, is that, that for me is like the most rewarding part of my, my practice. Um, I'd say where it starts is on that first visit. Um, we do a lot of work and a lot of training with our, our, our staff on, on the importance of, of building that safe space. Um, so our first, our first couple of visits at the clinic, we may not even get to any of the medical stuff. We might not even, um, we might not even get to the, the past medical history if we're taking a history. Um, that first part is really just about like getting to know the person, um, getting to know where they're from, where they're at in their health and healing journey. Um, and just focusing on, you know, trying to build that therapeutic relationship, um, and, and really emphasizing that this is, this is different. We're, you know, we're not, we're not, we don't want to position ourselves as part of that bigger system. You know, uh, in fact, a lot of what we're doing is, is kind of an act of resistance against that. Um, and that we're, we're really trying to, to provide medicine in a different way and, um, and, and really, you know, providing a, um, a safe place for people to access care um, where they know that they're not going to be discriminated against um, um, the way that perhaps they felt themselves or they've, they've seen their, their relatives treated. So, um, and then, and then beyond that, you know, one of our, we sort of get to some of the medical issues. Um, we'll have that discussion about, well, you know, how do you want to, how do you want to work on, on these, these concerns? Um, you know, I think, I think, I think we have an inherent sort of patient centeredness about how we approach healthcare concerns as Indigenous people. Um, I think that comes from um, a lot about what our culture teaches us that health and wellness are, um, and looking at more of a holistic model of of, of understanding health and wellness. Um, but uh, um, within within Luma, um, what that what that often means is, um, you know, uh, making those internal referrals and connecting people as well. You know, it sounds like sounds like housing is a big concern for you right now. Maybe maybe before we can really look at addressing your blood pressure, um, you know, maybe we should be trying to help you get a you know a secure roof over your head. Like I can't imagine focusing and and, and <laughs> being able to remember to take a medication every day or or you know monitoring your salt intake or anything like that until you've been able to deal with that sort of first fundamental um, need in your life, right? And so. Um, that means walking down the hall and introducing them to our, our social navigator who can help with housing navigation. Um, and so a lot of it is, is sort of meeting the person, the, the, the patient, the client, the, um, you know, uh, where they're at. And, um, sometimes that's, that's going to be, you know, zero, zeroing in on the medical stuff right away. I do have a lot of patients say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just need a refill in my, Ramapril or whatever. <laughs> and we say, okay, okay. <laughs> I can, uh, I can do that for you. Um, but for, for most, you know, there's, we need to do almost a little bit of unlearning, um, as far as what, what that patient doctor, doctor patient relationship, um, looks like. And, um, yeah. So, uh, I, I see myself more as an advisor, um, and a helper in terms of that person's health, uh, journey than I do as a, um, a doctor dictator. I, I always tell people, I, I am not going to tell you what to do. I don't feel comfortable being in a position to do that. Um, I, I don't think that's a privilege any of us should have. 
Um, I can certainly give you my advice as far as if that's valuable to you in terms of what I, I think I would do in your shoes. But um, I, I really value people's autonomy in, in making those health decisions on their own. And, and uh, I think it's really, again, rewarding working in a model where we have a little bit more time to work with our patients. And we have those other team members who have those skills that you can call upon and, and, and connect people to. Um, so that they really can work on all of those areas of, of their medicine wheel, of their um, sort of holistic um, understanding of their health. I think that sounds so fantastic. I think that is the vision that a lot of us, or at least I had of um, what I wanted when I came into medicine of this idea of really, um, you know, well-rounded, wrap your arms around type care. And I think one of the other wonderful things about my, at least my indigenous teachings of being humble and knowing what, um, what I bring to the table. And you've kind of echoed those same things is that non-indigenous people listening can do the same thing and say, you know, this is what I can bring to the table and work towards, um, work towards creating that network for their patients. I think I've had some, um, conversations throughout my medical education with various people saying oh you know it's so it's so great that you're here and doing this work and I I feel really honored to you know get those compliments but we have a huge indigenous population in Canada and um, non-indigenous people also also play a role in caring Mm -hmm. for um, for our communities so I think it's amazing to talk about um, the ways that they can be part of this community of care. Um, And I think there are a lot of non-Indigenous people who really want to be able to help or to do it in a good way and maybe just don't know where to start. So um, as somebody who is doing the work, do you have anything that you could share for uh, the non-Indigenous allies listening? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do some um, some teaching work in Indigenous cultural safety um, through UBC and, and um, some of our, our local health authority partners. Um, and allyship is a huge theme of, of what we talk about. We really need good allies to to walk on this journey with us. Um, and and you know one of the the key messages that I think we're trying to bring forward with with the truth and reconciliation movement um, and, and specifically within healthcare, it's understanding that um, this is healing work that's both for Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people. Um, and we really need allies to help lead that work, especially when it comes to um, to helping to heal um, our non-Indigenous, you know, uh, friends and, and, and colleagues um, and heal the system that um, unfortunately we're we're all we're all representatives of and, and part of, um, but this system is looking after all of us, and um, and that sickness and that harm that it's caused to Indigenous people also causes harm to non-Indigenous people too. Uh, it perpetuates a lot of those disparities, and uh, and so um, it's it's a difficult conversation. How do you <laughs> how do you convince people to give up part of the power that privileges them? Um, especially if they're not aware of that, that privileging and that, and that power disparity that's actually there. Um, 
but I think I think you're right. I think there are a lot of people that really sincerely want to be part of of um, of a change movement and 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 want to see uh, want to see the system change. And how do you encourage that? How do you how do you how do you work with people and guide that that energy in a in a path that's going to be constructive? Um, I'm not sure if I I know the answer to that. I think I think the answer we're, we're fortunate to be in a in a time now where there have been some you know really excellent pieces of work that have gone into really answering that question. I, I think about the In Plain Sight report, um, you know, the calls to action within the TRC and and UNDRIP. Um, we have a lot of things to sort of guide us on on what that might look like. But I think when it comes down to those sort of personal relationships, working with non-Indigenous colleagues, and um, I think it, it, it really helps to, well, I mean, first off, as, as a non-Indigenous listener, um, seeking out some some training in Indigenous cultural safety, um, ideally with Indigenous faculty teaching it. <laughs> um, you know, I think I think there's some good programs, some good basic programs like Sanyas. Um, that's a, a good starting point. Um, Sanyas is an online um, Indigenous cultural safety sort of training module that uh, a lot of us as healthcare um, career students or or uh, would be would be professionals um, have to take as part of our, our training. Um, but I'd say it's it's a necessary but not sufficient uh, uh, sort of training. And I think. Um, moving beyond that, I think we really need more experiential sort of training, um, either like immersion, you know, working, working in an indigenous healthcare setting, um, whether that's, uh, you know, working in a, a remote community that's predominantly serving indigenous people or, or more of a, a focused urban practice, um, that's, uh, you know, uh, providing care for indigenous people. But, um, I mean, that's, that's an ideal. But other than that, seeking out those opportunities to, to do sort of cultural safety training, um, that's, that's, that's grounded more in, in, in hearing stories and, um, and then, and then, and then focusing on those specific skills that, 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 that one can, one can take to making their, their practice more safe. Um, in terms of like practical skills, we, we talk a lot about, um, you know, uh, it, it's, it's almost routine now, I think with, with, uh, um, public events and that sort of thing to make a territorial acknowledgement. Um, I, I teach uh, our learners to actually build a territorial acknowledgement into their first greeting with a patient um, to to sort of set that stage and bring that power differential down to say, you know, here's who I am. And and, and it almost, you know, when you say like, um, you know, I'm, I'm John Doe, I'm a, I'm a settler physician. I have a European background, but I'm a, I'm a family doctor at this clinic. It takes six seconds. It's really quick. But that, 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 that says a lot, the, the sort of meta <laughs> message in that, in that, you know, in that sentence is that, you know, I, I, I place myself as, as a settler here in this, in this colonized space. Um, and I'm here as an ally. It, it, it really is just sort of a signal to that patient and like, okay, they get it. <laughs> they know what this, they know what this is about. Um, they understand what happened. They understand some of that history and, and they're going to treat me well. I can trust this person. Um, that's kind of the, I guess the, the virtue signaling that comes from that. But, um, we spend a lot of time, um, again, working on that relationship, uh, piece at the beginning, building those safe relationships. It's really hard, um, when you are a, uh, I think a non-Indigenous person 
like I, I think of the advantage I have being able to, to, to speak my language and talk and, um, and introduce myself, you know, and I, I think that, that, that accelerates that sort of sense of comfort. But we, we spend a lot of time, um, in terms of our, our, our training with our, our residents and our, our medical students on, um, establishing that, that safe space and, and building a safe relationship. And that's really, that's fundamental really before you get to a lot of the, the quote unquote medicine, um, and, 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 and making those good introductions. Like, I think, I think in, in general, I don't like to make assumptions or, or, or stereotype or generalize us as indigenous people, but we, we spend a long time saying hello and, and we, we, we love to tell stories and we love to share, you know, um, when it's safe, um, a little bit more about who we are. And I think, I think that, that process of, of, of sharing that, um, introducing ourselves and, 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 and really getting that, that piece out, who are you and, and who am I? And do we understand each other first? It's so crucial if you're going to have an effective and, and, um, uh, and safe therapeutic relationship. Um, and so I, I, I always encourage, especially for non-Indigenous, um, practitioners, like working on that relationship piece is key. Um, it's kind of a little mantra I like to, to share with, with our learners too, but like, like the relationship is the intervention in a lot of cases, especially when we're caring for people with trauma, um, having, having a, a safe therapeutic relationship, um, have, be, being that place that a person can go when they really need that help. That's, that's a life-saving intervention. Um, when people don't have that, that's, that's, that's when they don't show up to the emergency room until a very advanced stage in, in, in one's illness. That's, that's, that's why a lot of our, our relatives fear for going to the hospital at all, because they see that as a place for dying rather than a place to get better and, and seek care. And so um, if you can build those relationships and, and create that sense of safety, that's a transformational experience. And then that person can say like to their, their sister or their brother or their daughter or their mother, Hey, you know, um, I had a really good, I had a really good visit with my doctor, you know, the other day, maybe that's, somewhere where you want to go. I know you've had some, you know, some concerns that you had about your health too. So I'm, uh, I, I, I see the relationship as kind of the, the, um, the strength of that relationship is kind of the metric as far as how, how effective one can be um, working with, with our people. I agree completely. Thank you for um, kind of out, outlining that in the ways that you did. Something you said earlier was, um, Right at the beginning, I think, of your story, you were saying that you didn't know that you were taught so many of these pieces of traditional knowledge at the time. And it was only on reflection that um, you realized, oh, hey, that's that's Indigenous. Um, I've had a similar experience. And when I get asked questions like this about, oh, so what can I do or how do how do I help? I'm like, I don't know, you just do it. It's so intuitive to who I am. It's hard to separate what is what part of me is Indigenous and does things in an Indigenous way and what part of me isn't. Um, and so I, I like hearing the way that other people describe it, because I think the more that we can kind of talk about these things and um, and the more people are willing listeners um the safer it is for our families. And that's really what it comes down to for me is um, I want my family to be safe and healthy when they go and access care because we mm -hmm. deserve it and we deserve to. And, um, and all of these 
little pieces come together to make that experience for them. Something that we have um, kind of talked about in previous podcasts um, or episodes are is the balance between your clinical practice and um, advocacy and seeing where you personally fit in on those kind of systems level interventions and um, and personal interventions. And I was wondering what it was like for you to to navigate that, that in your career. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think I've been fairly lucky in my career that I've been able to um, I've been able to work sort of in both roles um, in, in, in some senses. So I don't I don't claim to be like I, I don't think Luma is is we're certainly not the only ones doing this. I think we're part of a bigger movement um, that, uh, you know, I, I think of um, goodness, Karen Hill's work in um, at Six Nations. Um, you know, Wabano in, in Ottawa and Anishinaabe Health in Toronto, um, Elbow River Healing Lodge in, in, um, in Calgary. Uh, you know, there are lots and lots and lots of other, other places, um, across Canada where this work is being done and certainly, um, overseas as well, um, with, uh, you know, other, other Indigenous peoples trying to, trying to take back control of healthcare, um, and their respective geographies. Um, but uh, working is sort of a, one of very few indigenous clinics and, and, and like we've, we've sort of established ourselves as a, um, as a place where people will come. And, and when I say people, I mean more like um, uh, health authorities, leadership from, um, from you know, universities and, and even from government in, in sort of seeking out um, uh you know, our, our expertise on, on, on where things should go to, to change, change our system and improve our system. Um, so that's kind of how I got pulled into the work that I do with the, uh, First Nations and Aboriginal Primary Care Network. Um, so, so again, we're sort of this, this loosely knit, um, uh, collection of, of, uh, of clinics. Um, and it's, it's, We've been basically operating as this, as, as this, uh, this collective, um, or this, this network for about, uh, six years now. Um, five years, sorry. Right around the same time that my, my work with, uh, Luma began. Um, and it's, uh, a lot of what we were advocating for within that network was, was really, um, equitable access to, uh, to care. Um, so we're, we're kind of a unique, uh, little collection of clinics because we actually have representation from our three host nations um, and from um, the Amman nation on the on the uh, on the Sunshine Coast, um, as well as as urban-based clinics. And so, with the um, with that uh, sort of on-reserve and off-reserve uh, um, lens, I suppose um, we've been able to really, I think effectively advocate for for better better services um you know for our patients many of whom live in both environments you know who who do spend some time working on reserve and spend some time you know living on reserve but maybe working off reserve or 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 traveling so they're outside their home community at times um and uh and and, and again we sort of positioned ourselves I, I i guess as a um a voice for a voice for people, and I think also sort of a voice that that really understands what's happening on the ground level. Um, 
So uh, that I think gave us the uh, the opportunity to work with um, you know partners in in government and with the health authorities to 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 build these build these sites up and these centers up. Um, so when I started, I think uh, we had something like three or four thousand patients that were attached to these clinics. We've we've doubled that in 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 the span of five years. Um, and and again, that wouldn't have happened if we we didn't have those those good partnerships and uh, and so the advocacy piece is is um, that's so important too. Like I, I I think if we we all worked in these little vacuums doing you know doing good work but 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 just focusing on those those patient relationships, I don't think we'd have the the opportunity. Um, we don't have we wouldn't have the opportunity to see to see these models sort of expand and and for that type of care to be available for people in other other jurisdictions. The only last thing that I had um, to chat with you about was just uh, the way that the way that you navigate um, being pulled in so many directions and, you know, the pressure that you have to serve your larger community, but then also your, you know, personal community and your personal wellness with your family. So that. Um... I think we got a brief, a brief moment here. So. Um, for your listeners, I'm, my, uh, my two-year-old is, is, uh, she just woke up from her nap and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm multitasking a little bit here, um, while I sort of answer this question. But, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a struggle sometimes when we get pulled in, in lots of different directions. I, um, it's not just, uh, the sort of the pull of family life and, you know, this is, Evie is my, you know, She's my pride and joy. She's my focus. She's she's everything. Um, and I, uh, you know, I, I I do struggle at times to to put work down. Um, and you know, there's there's a lot of um, like my my inbox. It it feels like it's exploded. I don't know if it's just a pandemic thing or or if this is just sort of the reality of um, the curve of of my uh, of my work right now. But um, I just I feel. Like it's a never-ending battle to try and get through all of those emails and to to do all the work I need to get done, um, but knowing that that you know that's still still second to to looking after my daughter and um, you know and being able to be there for her, uh, I, uh, I I I I I don't have a good answer for that. I haven't figured that one out yet. Um, but um, but I, I I I'm very fortunate. I'm very fortunate that I have a, a you know a really good a really good relationship with her, with her mother. Um, we're, uh, we're separated, but we're, I think we're co-parenting in a really good way. Um, she's a, a wonderful mom. She, she's, uh, just Mother's Day yesterday. And, um, I think our, our little daughter's really, really lucky to have her, um, as her mom. And we're also very fortunate that both, uh, um, both sets of Evie's grandparents, uh, live close by. So, um, been a little trickier with the pandemic in terms of of, of that aspect of of childcare, but um, but she she gets the opportunity to be with them quite a lot too, um, and uh, and it takes a village, and she has she has a full village to help to look after her. Um, yeah, and I guess the pandemic itself has also been a saving grace because I'm I'm here on a Monday. Um, I, I I work full time, um, but I'm working from home today, and uh, you know I I took this little piece of time to do this podcast, but, um, I can, I can look after my daughter and I can, 
um, you know, do virtual visits with patients, um, trying to work around nap times usually. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's a hustle, but, but it works. And, uh, and I think, I think the, the pandemic, if, if anything, the silver lining in it for me has been that it's, it's shown me that I can actually do, um, a lot of what I do, uh, remotely and, and it does afford me, um, a lot more time with family and, and, and to attend to that other important role that I have here. Right. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, but it's, 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 <laughs> it's a steep learning curve. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still learning how to be a dad, how to be a good dad. And, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing journey though. I'm, I'm, I feel really lucky to, to, to be able to have that and to be able to share that here too. I am so grateful um, to you for taking this time out of your incredibly busy, your busy life and sharing all of the things that you've shared today. I, I really think about um, coming back to that idea of representation and the way that even in your own journey, you said listening to Dr. Danielle Bain Smith and Dr. Nadine Caron uh, really touched you at an important time in your journey. I hope that the listeners will be able to get the same feeling by listening to you and the way that you have, I would say, very gracefully navigated all parts of um, this transition. And uh, yeah, so Cook's Gem and uh, hopefully we get to hear more from you at another time. Chimigwech, Hannah. That's, uh, um, those are really, really kind words. That, yeah, that's a, brings a tear to my eye, really, honestly. Mm -hmm. I, uh, um, I really appreciate the work that you're doing here, um, and I think you're lifting up, um, you're lifting us all up with, with, with this project. I, uh, I think it's so, so important. Um, you mentioned representation and, and like, I think this is something I think for your listeners, I think about the pre-med students who are, who are, um, you know, considering a career in medicine and, and, you know, what, what, what this can mean and this can bring, you know, just in terms of, of, uh, yeah, of, of feeling like, you know what, this is something I can do. So I, I really, you know, I, I raise my hands to you, Hannah. I think this is, um, just wonderful work that you're doing and, uh, um, yeah, thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to come back anytime.